Grace and mercy and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Don't get too excited. I have not skipped a scripture reading. It will be in the sermon a little bit later. I love little kids. I was once one myself back in the Stone Age. I like stories about little kids. I want to read you just a story about uh, a young boy written by a mother of small children. She writes, my kids are like camels. They can play all day in the blazing sun and never think of water. But at bedtime, as soon as their heads hit the pillow, suddenly they discover their unquenchable thirst. One evening, my three-year-old son and I had been through the regular nighttime routine, story, prayer, hugs. Then as my hand slid down the light switch, I want a gink. He couldn't say drink, which I thought was kind of cute. Gink! But I was firm. You just had a drink when you brushed your teeth. Now it's time to go to sleep. At last the kids were in bed. Peace. Silence. I sat in the best chair and began to sort through the mail. I want a gink! From the darkness. Gink had now suddenly lost some of its cuteness. No water. Go to sleep. Quietness reigned for at least 60 seconds. Mommy, I want a gink. Be quiet. I want a gink. Now I knew exactly how Moses felt in the wilderness with a million Jews all crying at one time, We want a gink. <laughs> gink was no longer cute. I yelled down the hallway into the darkness, If you ask for a gink one more time, if I hear one more sound from you, I'm going to come down there and spank you. I am not kidding. Now be quiet and go to sleep. It was as quiet as a tomb. No one or one could even hear a pin drop. It was so silent I couldn't even concentrate on the mail anymore. Then the still small voice of a child who smelled victory. Mommy, when you come down here to spank me, could you bring me a gink? <laughs> you can't keep a good man down. That's the title of the message today. But in Acts chapter 2, you hear something similar about not being able to keep a good man down. I'm jumping way ahead to Pentecost, it may seem, but do you know that on Pentecost, Peter stood up in front of all kinds of people and he preached his first message, and it was an Easter message. Now, you have it in the NIV. I want to read the same text to you, but I want to read it to you from the message translation. It says, fellow Israelites, listen carefully to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man thoroughly accredited by God to you, the miracles and wonders and signs that God did through him are common knowledge. This Jesus following the deliberate and well-thought-out plan of God, was betrayed by men who took the law into their own hands and was handed over to you, and you pinned him to a cross and killed him. But God untied the death ropes and raised him up. Death was no match for Jesus. That's a heck of a sermon. You know that first sermon that Peter preached probably took him less than five minutes, and he baptized 3,000 people afterwards. I've never baptized 3,000 people on one Sunday, yet. You know, all Peter was really saying in that is, you can't keep a good man down. You can think you got him down, but you can't keep him down. 
There are a couple of things we can learn from this story. A couple of things we learn about Easter. And one of them is that doubters cannot keep Jesus down. In John chapter 1, verse 11, it says that he came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. I mean, a lot of people in the days of Jesus did not accept that he was the Messiah. There are a lot of doubters. In fact, there are a lot of doubters today. But a couple of thousand years ago, even his brothers didn't accept it. His brothers thought he was a little bit loony, to be quite honest. You remember that story, how they came and they said, Jesus, you've been kind of working hard like me. You're like, come on, we'll take a little rest. Jesus says, I don't even know who you guys are. Brothers and sisters are the people who pay attention to me. His own brothers didn't even accept him until well after the resurrection. The people in his own hometown of Nazareth, when he wouldn't do a miracle for him, what they want to do? They want to throw him over the cliff. They want to kill him. They didn't accept him either. The religious community, they didn't buy into the fact that he was Jesus the Messiah. Even one of his 12 disciples, Judas, what does he do? He doesn't really buy into the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, so what does he do? He betrays him. Even those other 11 disciples, even though they followed him, they followed him kind of at a distance, and it wasn't until after the resurrection that they kind of got it. And when they had this sudden realization that Jesus was exactly who he said he was, man, then drastically and beautifully their lives began to change. Do you ever know anybody like that who wasn't quite sure about Jesus? They kind of walk around him like a used car and they kick the tires and slam the doors and they're checking things. But they just don't quite get it. But one day, Jesus comes into their life and boom, things begin to change. In fact, you don't know how to recognize them. They look different. They sound different. They walk different. Their whole life is different. See, one of the great things about Easter, friends, is that no matter how many doubts you may have, and, and there may be some of you today that have a certain amount of doubts about Jesus, you're still not really sure. You've been kind of hedging your bets with Jesus for one reason or another. But I'm here to tell you that no matter how many doubts you have, Easter can bring hope to your heart. It can cause a spark that may just ignite something for the very first time to say, this Jesus, this Jesus, I need to follow him. He's going to be not only my savior, but he's going to be the Lord of my entire life. See, you can't keep a good man down. Doubt can't do it. But even better, death could not keep Jesus down. In Acts 2.24, it says, God raised him up, putting an end to the agony of death, since it is impossible for death to hold him down by its power. Now think about that for a moment. What does that say to us? It says that if death cannot hold Jesus down, then we have the hope that it can't hold us down either. See, for the Christian, that sentence, when I die, and I've said that already, you know, someday when I die, maybe you've even said that, when I die, that little sentence doesn't have a period at the end of it. You don't put a question mark at the end of it too as if you're wondering what's going to happen someday a christian doesn't even put an exclamation point at the end of it as if they're kind of surprised see for the christian because death couldn't keep jesus down 
That sentence, when I die, ends with a comma. A comma means this is not over. It's going to continue because Jesus conquered death. That means if I'm a Christ follower, if Jesus is mine, I'm going to escape death as well. I visited with one of our members yesterday who's probably fairly close to the point of death, and I reminded her of a couple of things. It was something that a good friend of mine told me one time. He said, you know, a Christian never really dies. He just takes his last breath here on this earth and his next one in heaven. And why is that? It's because death couldn't hold Jesus down. And if we're his children, it can't hold us down as well. See, it's like Paul said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We're going to be praying the Lord's Prayer today, and we're going to pray, Thy kingdom come. Now, you know what we're praying when we say that? We're praying that God would kind of like crack the sky, send the angels, blow the horns, come down, take us all back to heaven. I pray that all the time. In fact, one of the prayers I often pray before I preach on Sunday is, Lord, it would be okay if the world ended now. <laughs> so I don't have to preach today. That would be okay with me. It really would be. Because if I wasn't here, I'm going to be in a lot better place. I mean, Texarkana is not bad. But heaven's got it beat. That's why when Christians leave this world... There's not this mourning that you have sometimes with unbelievers. See, we know the hope of being resurrected. Do we cry at a funeral? Sure we cry at a funeral. But like Paul said to the Corinthians, we don't cry like people don't, who don't have any hope. We got hope. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I mean, what can beat me? That's why Paul said, and you, sometimes you go to a funeral, you hear this at the tail end of the 15th chapter of Corinthians. He says, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is your victory? See, he understood that when Jesus came back to life, when he conquered the devil, when he took power over death, became victorious over life, he lives, and it means that if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, you're going to live too. But did that ever stop the devil? Absolutely not. Because from the time Jesus was born, the devil was out to get Jesus. He started when he was a little baby. Remember, he worked through Herod, so Herod would go out and kill all those little baby boys and hope that he would get Jesus. Even when Jesus was 30 and he began to launch into his public ministry, what the devil do? The devil came tempting him while he was out in the wilderness. The devil was trying to get him to take all kinds of shortcuts so that he wouldn't die on the cross. What do you think the devils did on the day Jesus died? I think they had a party. I think the devils rejoiced. But then all of a sudden on the third day, Jesus emerged from the pit. He had the keys to death and life. He had locked the chains of death and darkness. And at that moment, he gave to all believers the victory over sin, death, and Satan. And guess what? If you believe that, your life's different. I mean, before the resurrection, you couldn't get the disciples to wake up, and after the resurrection, you couldn't get them to shut up. You know, before the resurrection, they were afraid. After it, they suddenly grew spines. Before the resurrection, the disciples had questioning minds. After the resurrection, they had a confident mind. 
Before the resurrection, they were always seeking direction. But afterwards, they were the ones who were pointing the way. See, that's because when Jesus rose from the dead, the disciples suddenly realized that nothing is impossible. They realized you can't keep a good man down. And if you're on the good man's side, guess what? He can't keep you down either. Now, I love Easter, but I'm going to be honest with you. I don't love Easter any more than I do any other Sunday. I mean, every Sunday is a celebration of Easter, isn't it? We're gathered together. I don't care whether it's the 85th Sunday in Pentecost or whatever they call it. We're still here to celebrate a risen Christ. And with Christ in our life, all things are possible. I mean, I have a, I have a different attitude because I'm a Christian. See, Easter, you know what Easter says? Easter says that no matter what problem you have, God can not only meet that problem, God can defeat that problem. He can fix it. I want you to think for a moment this morning. What's the biggest problem you have in your life right now? What's the biggest problem you have in your life right now? Now, for some of you, it might be some sort of a family problem. For some of you, it might be a physical problem or mental problem or social problem. It might even be a spiritual problem. You, you might have a financial problem, but friends, no matter what your problem is, the good news of Easter tells us that there is hope and that God is able. See, Easter also changes your entire opinion about death. When you understand what Easter means, you suddenly look, start looking at, at death from a whole new perspective. One of my favorite parts of the Easter story is when Mary comes, remember early in the morning, she comes to anoint Jesus' body, but when she sees the stone is rolled away, she suddenly has this cardiac arrest almost. She thinks somebody's come and stole the body. But then Jesus appears behind her, approaches her, he sees her crying, and he asks her, why are you grieving? And she says, sir, they've taken my master away. See, she thought Jesus was the gardener, but then Jesus called her by name. He simply said, Mary. Mary. And guess what? The minute she heard her name, she knew exactly who Jesus was. I mean, to me, Easter is when God comes into your life and he speaks your name. When Easter came into my life, when I understood who Jesus was, it was as if, as if I heard God say, Mary. Barry, you're mine. I claim you. And that changes your life from that day forward. See, Easter is when you learn about a man who loves you. You learn about a man who died for your sins, who rose on the third day and who can just change your life beautifully. Tuesday morning, Nancy and I are heading out of town. We're going south. We're going to Angola, Louisiana. Louisiana State Penitentiary, the largest maximum security prison in America. 5,108 men. Average sentence, 88 years. Most of those men will die in that prison. But there are today, by God's grace, nearly 2,000 born-again believers in that prison who would tell you that today, because of Jesus, because of Easter, they are freer than a whole bunch of folks who live outside those walls. They know what Easter means. They know that Easter called them literally by name, even if it was behind some prison walls. 
You know, I've often shared when I teach Bible, stu Bible studies that every miracle in the Bible begins with a problem. So friends, you're probably not going to find God doing any miracles in your life unless you first have a problem. So let me ask you this question. How many of you, show of hands, how many of you have at least one problem? Okay, how many of you is that problem sitting next to you? Oh, I'm just kidding. Maybe I'm kidding. I want you to listen to me carefully. If I were able to come and sit down by you, you with problems, if I could sit next to you and I could share with you about a man named Jesus who could forgive you of every sin, who could take care of every problem, who could give you the hope of heaven, who would give you eternal life, who would make a difference in your life, I would bet that most of you would say, that's somebody I would really like to get to know, and I'd like to know that person in a personal way. I'm going to ask you one more very important question this morning. On this Easter Sunday, 2008, I'm wondering how many of you, some of you maybe even for the first time would raise your hand, I don't know. But maybe many of you would say one more time, you know, on, on this Easter Sunday, Barry, when you were talking, something just made me want to say hallelujah, amen. To say thank you, Jesus. Or maybe it just made you want to say, you know, I don't know a whole lot about God, but I'd sure like to get to know him more. I know just a little bit, and I want to get to know him better. To say, you know, this Jesus, this Jesus who can give me peace and hope and love and joy, this is the Jesus I want. When I was a little kid growing up in Seward, Nebraska, I remember a Christmas Eve service. We had a big Christmas Eve, typical kind of thing, all the kids singing, you know, handing out the bag of nuts and the fruit, that whole, that whole Christmas stuff. But, you know, more than anything, I can still remember at a very young age, walking outside, I remember looking up, and it was snowing. I know you all don't know much about snow. But like, I looked up, and I thought to myself, Man, this is real. This is real. God did send his son into this. This is, this is real stuff. And it's times like that that make a big difference in my life. And maybe for some of you, it's on an Easter Sunday where you just kind of step back and you go, you know, that guy's pretty excited about it. I mean, he's preaching like he almost believes this stuff. I do. And maybe you kind of, back up a little bit and go, yeah, this is real. This is good. See, I'd like nothing more for all of us today on this Easter Sunday to just reach out to God. You Just to reach out and just let him reach down and touch us to give us a little bit more hope that maybe we haven't had when we walked in there. A little bit more peace, a little bit more joy, a little bit more forgiveness, a little bit more of a touch of heaven than maybe we were experiencing a few hours ago. It's really my prayer that each and every one of you would walk out of this place today knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt that God loves you, that God sent his son to die for you, that God has forgiven you all of your sins and that you can personally have a relationship with him. You can call him brother. You can call him friend. I know that's what I desire in my own life more than anything else, and that's what I desire for you as well. The Bible says something to this effect. 
today could be the first day of the rest of your life. It doesn't quite say it that way, but it says today is the day of your salvation. I don't know where you are in your faith walk. I'll be honest with you, mine wobbles from time to time too. I'm like that guy in the Bible who periodically says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. I don't know where you are today, but I want to pray for you. Pray for myself and for this church. Father, it's our heart's desire to know you and to love you, even as you desire to know us and love us. And Father, I know that right here, right now, no matter what situation we find ourselves in, whether our faith is weak, whether our faith is wavering, whether our faith seems to have burst into flames, no matter what condition it may be, that you and you only have the hope of eternal life. You and you only offer the forgiveness of every sin and the joy and the peace. And Lord, we want to come to you on this Easter Sunday and claim that, to join you in claiming the victory over sin and death and Satan. And Lord, if there are people here today that have not been quite sure about who this Jesus is, I would pray that you would just touch them by the presence of the Holy Spirit to draw them closer to you, to bring them to the point where they would say, yes, this is the Jesus I want. This is what I need in my life. And for those of us who've been walking by faith for a number of years, Lord, we pray that you'll plant us just a little bit deeper, a little bit stronger. And for all of us, Lord, today, don't let us just walk out of here and say, well, that was a nice service or that was a good time. But Lord, may when we walk into our homes and our neighborhoods, back into our places of businesses, back into the schools, into the restaurants, may people look at us and say, as they said about the early disciples, that these people had been with Jesus. And then Lord, make us bold witnesses to share that love. We pray this in the powerful name of the risen Savior. Amen.